Here we go. Yes, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Thursday, January the 11th. Now, let me get the year correct. 2024. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and usually on Thursdays, we have with us our good friend Wes Reimnitz, but he's on assignment today, so he won't be with us. I'm all by myself. And we're going to be taking a look at a question that a lot of people have today when they read the Bible. You know that many people have different moralities than the Bible has. And so how do they get around this? They believe that the Bible contains myths, M-Y-T-H-S. So let's take a look at that question. Now, the Bible does contain many great stories of God's miraculous works in Holy Scripture. We see God's great miracles of deliverance for his people. We behold the Lord saving the people of Israel, it says, by dividing the Red Sea. Now, when I was at the seminary, we got the impression that the Red Sea was really the Reed Sea, R-E-E-D. Not very wide. It doesn't have much water. And the people of Israel traveled over it in boats. And we were told that the Egyptians couldn't follow them because their chariots sank in the shallow sea, in the mud. But boy, I'd encourage you to go to the Holy Scriptures and read that story and then go to YouTube and take a look at the fight between Israel and Hamas and what is happening in the Red Sea, where there are uh, many other nations attacking ships in the Red Sea. And it's a huge body of water. In fact, there was a plane that had taken off not too long ago, gone over the Red Sea and had aeronautics problems and the plane was dumped into the Red Sea and it took them a few days to find it because the sea is so deep. So dividing the Red Sea was a mere miracle allowing the people to walk through it on dry land, according to Exodus 14. We see God declaring his deity before Elijah and the prophets of Baal by bringing down fire from heaven. That's in 1 Corinthians 18. Remember, they set up two kinds of altars and the prophets of Baal 
were praying for their God to bring down fire. Well, nothing happened. And Elijah then went ahead and he poured water over all of his sacrifice. And the Lord came down and devoured the whole altar, including the stones, with great fire, destroying it. And the people came to realize that the true God was the God of Israel, not the God of Baal. We see God sending a great fish to swallow Jonah for three days and nights before spitting him back on the ground. That's found in Jonah chapters 1 to 4. So most importantly of all, we see the miraculous ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The ministry culminates in his glorious resurrection from the dead and his necessary ascension into heaven at the right hand of the Father. The miracles of Scripture are the works of God in redeeming his people. Through these miracles, he brings his people to salvation. Now, that's an important law and gospel point of view. God brings you to salvation. You don't walk to salvation. You don't do works to get to salvation. No, you're saved now instead because you trust the promises of Jesus Christ. That's called the gospel, the good news. To trust those promises, you, of course, repent of your sins, recognizing that you cannot get out of your sinful condition. You can't pay for it. There are no works you can do that are appropriate for paying for your sins. So the greatest miracle is Jesus coming dying on the cross, and being raised from the dead. This is the message of the programs on KFUO. So encourage your neighbors to listen to it. And they don't have to be within a radio. You can do it over the computer. Go to kfuo.org, and you'll see a list of programs that you can listen to. And those programs are talking about the miracles of Scripture. There are many strange and unique events. And the miracles are different from our normal experiences. For example, in the creation account of Genesis 1, a serpent speaks, leading Adam and Eve to sin against God. 
Now, we had a professor at the seminary who was, of course, a false teacher who said that cannot happen because a serpent does not have vocal cords and they cannot speak. And so they thought that that was not true. But we also read in Numbers 22 of a donkey that is also speaking the word of God. We see in 2 Kings 6, heads floating. In 1 Samuel 17, boys slaying giants. And look at the plagues sent against Egypt, Exodus 7 to 12. And what's interesting about those plagues is each of the 10 plagues are against the gods of Egypt. So they have a god who's in control of water, but God turns the rivers of the Nile into blood. And each of the plagues is against one of the gods or two of the gods that the Egyptians believe in. But that is, of course, idolatry. So God intervenes to stop Abraham from sacrificing his son in Genesis 22 and provides an animal for the sacrifice. Now, see, all of these are unique and dramatic supernatural events, while anything recorded elsewhere is not like this at all, because these are historical events. We see the visible presence of the supernatural world where God, angels, and demons are active in the life of God's people. Each one of these supernatural events are important to understanding the drama of redemption as God works to deliver his people from sin and its effects. And he does that through miraculous ways. Yet, many have looked at these miracles and unique occurrences in scriptures, and they say, they cannot be true. Liberal Old Testament scholars, such as Peter Ames, Walter Brueggemann, and Gerhard von Rod have claimed that these stories are, they call them mythical or mythopoetic, and this means that they are stories mixed with truth and falsehood, merely meant to teach Israel that God is a God of salvation. 
liberal scholarship has claimed that many stories in the Bible are similar to those of other ancient myths, such as those of the ancient Near East. They have claimed that the stories of the Bible are, de are indeed nothing more than myths on the same level as the fanciful tales of the surrounding nations. They therefore believe that when the writers of the Bible were inspired, they were making up stories to make God, the God of Israel, the true God. They were not really true at all. They were not, what well, we say, historical. But the reality of the perspective of these scholars actually was predetermined before they even came to read the Bible. Before they read the Bible, they came to it with the assumption that miracles are impossible. The philosopher David Hume based his disbelief of miracles on his own personal experience. He said, I've never witnessed or experienced a miracle, and no one he knew experienced a miracle. He assumed that miracles cannot be true. But in both of these instances, the decision is made to exclude miracles before one comes even to the text of Scripture. But Christians recognize that miracles occur. For example, two of the greatest miracles are baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe, teach, and confess that in baptism, holy baptism, a person receives not only the gift of the forgiveness of sins, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the Christian now, his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, teaches the Bible. And that means that when you have the Holy Spirit within you, you are motivated not only to do the works of God, but also to recognize the miraculous events that occur in your life. Uh, for example, I had had a surgery that makes it really difficult for me to walk right now. I'm getting better, but as I am able to walk, I recognize what a miracle that is. Your body does not have the ability to get up in the morning without the power of God permitting it. And when he permits it, that is seen as a miracle. And of course, when we receive the Holy Supper of our Lord, 
at the sacrament of Holy Communion, we are receiving the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is a miracle that we believe is happening because of the faith given to us by the Holy Spirit. In reality, the historical stories of Scripture are not myths at all. They are divinely account of the actuality that occurred. When the Bible says that a serpent spoke, it means that a snake actually spoke. When the Bible says that God parted the waters of the Red Sea, that is what actually happened. These are not myths or fables. God has given these stories as historical accounts pointing to his redemptive actions. And as they come from the hand of God, we recognize that they possess an inherent validity that the myths of the surrounding nations did not possess. Rather than viewing the Bible from the content of pagan myths, we should understand that the stories of Scripture, the historical Scripture, are the truth of which all myths are but poor copies. Now, we recognize, of course, that God inspired a variety of ways in Scripture to speak of his redemptive activities. There's history, of course, but there's not only history, but poetry, wisdom literature, and prophecies. Now, at times, God himself uses poetic and metaphorical language. In Psalm 18, for example, he speaks of the foundations of the world being shaken by the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Now, this obviously does not mean that God possesses a physical nose. It is instead a poetic reference to the wrath of God against those who harm his people. The important thing to note is that poetic passages are very clearly defined as poetry, as are historical passages defined. When we see miracles in Scripture, the contexts are presented as real historical events, and thus to be understood as having actually happened. On occasion, even poetic language is fulfilled literally, such as in Psalm 22, 
where the death of of Christ is described by, they pierced my hands and my feet, and they divide the garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That that poetry is found in Psalm 22, but it refers prophetically to what is going to happen on the cross and at the cross. The scriptures are inspired, they are inerrant, they are infallible. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Therefore, all of Scripture is given by the breath of the Holy Spirit. It is God's inspired word. In fact, we remember that on the Mount of Transfiguration. God the Father says, This is my beloved Son, referring to Jesus Christ who is brilliantly bright with the light of redemption. And what does God say? Listen to him. Now, how do we listen to God? We listen to him because he has left us his words in Holy Scripture. From Genesis chapter 1, through Revelation, the end of it. These are the words of God. We are not to add to them. We are not to subtract to them. But we are to believe them. And it is impossible to believe them until we have faith given to us by the Holy Scripture. It is God's inspired word It is without error. In fact, Jesus states in John 10, verse 35, that the scripture cannot be broken. What does this mean? It means that the Bible can never be said to be false or incorrect in any way. Furthermore, Jesus himself mentions a number of the stories of the Old Testament in a straightforward reference to their historicity. In Matthew 12, verse 40, he references Jonah being in the belly of the great fish. Why? Because that is pointing to the way in which he will be buried and rise again from the dead. In Mark 12, verse 26, Jesus speaks of the way in which God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Now there, 
The Bible says there was a burning bush, but it was not being destroyed by the fire. In each of these historical events, Jesus referenced the miraculous historicity of the Old Testament in a straightforward historical usage. The point that we're making today to take from all of this is that all that we read in Scripture is true. It does not matter how different Scripture may be from our own experience or how fantastic it may seem to us. The Bible is God's holy word, and thus it is true. It does not contain myths. Rather, it is a glorious history of God's redemptive and miraculous work in the salvation of his people through Jesus Christ. And the most important event is, of course, the cross. Because that's a miracle in and of itself, that God could die. But how is that possible? It's possible because in the birth that we celebrate at Christmas, it is the incarnation of the body of Christ becoming human. And as he becomes human, he can suffer and die. And he does that willingly. He does that by his own choice in obedience to the Father. He goes to the cross, which is not a myth. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven, where we are all also. That's what the Bible is truly about, taught from Genesis to Revelation, as we will continue tomorrow with talking about the truth of God's Word. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.